All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is day two of the ultimate divisional crossover week where we'll be talking about your beloved Atlanta Falcons. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcons and of course the host of this world-renowned Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. And today we are continuing with our ultimate divisional crossover week where I and the other hosts and co-hosts of the various Locked On podcasts devoted to the NFC South will be joining forces to go team by team in this division, breaking down things and then ultimately culminating with a sort of Valentine's Day episode where we will be looking ahead to teams outside the division, sort of 2020 stuff and, and sort of expressing a little bit of love from within the division and across the division in terms of looking at maybe some other teams assets with covetous eyes. But today is the Atlanta Falcons episode. If you miss Monday's episode, we talked about the new Orleans saints. We're going in division order in terms of best finish. Yesterday was the first place saints. Today is the second place Falcons. Tomorrow will be the third place Buccaneers followed by Thursday's Carolina Panthers episode. And we'll get into the Falcons. We'll look back at their 2019. We'll look ahead at their 2020 season and get the host of the Locked On Saints podcast, Ross Jackson, the host of the Locked On Panthers podcast, Bill Rossetti, and the co-host of the Locked On Buccaneers podcast, David Harrison's thoughts on this Atlanta Falcons team as well as my own. So without further ado, let's uh, get into that conversation. And I'll be back at the end of today's episode to give you a little outro do a quick little plug as well so um i'll see you guys then hey guys welcome back to the second day of the ultimate divisional crossover where i aaron freeman the host of the locked on falcons podcast is joined by my fellow locked on nfc south podcast hosts we'll be focusing on the atlanta falcons looking back at their 2019 season as well as looking ahead to 2020 trying to figure out where this Falcon team is headed. Are they going up? Are they going down? Guys, introduce yourselves. Let the listeners know who's talking and uh, what you guys are hosting. What's up, guys? Uh, Ross Jackson here at Ross Jackson ASC on Twitter. I'm the host over at the Locked on Saints podcast. Very excited to be here today with you guys. What's up, everyone? David Harrison, host, one of the hosts of the Locked On Bucks podcast, writer over at BucksNation.com, on Twitter at DH82 underscore Bucks. What's going on, guys? Bill Rossetti with you from Locked On Panthers. Excited to be among this group of uh, characters. I think it's going to be a, a, a fun, continuing a fun week here. Yeah, I think so. So if you guys didn't listen to yesterday's episode, we, we broke down the New Orleans Saints if you, this is the first of the ultimate divisional crossovers, I'll just give you a brief overview before we jump into looking back at the Falcons 2019 season. But across the entire Lockdown Podcast Network, we are doing these ultimate divisional crossovers. Of course, we're doing an NFC South thing. We're going team by team, starting with the first place Saints on Monday, following up with the second place Falcons on Tuesday. Tomorrow on Wednesday, we will have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, followed by Thursday's episode 
with the Carolina Panthers. And then Friday, we'll have a very special Valentine's Day episode where we'll put it all together to round out the week. And uh, definitely something that you guys are going to enjoy. But since today's episode is about the Atlanta Falcons, or at least focusing on the Atlanta Falcons, let me give you guys a brief overview, particularly for you non-Falcon fans listening to the show, to go back and look at their 2019 season. And it really was a, a tale of two halves for the Falcons in 2019. They started the season one and seven, finished very strong at six and two. Because of that strong finish, the team decided to bring back head coach Dan Quinn as well as general manager Thomas Dimitrov. It was a little bit of a surprise for the team to sort of stress the continuity, but it was a big change for Falcons owner Arthur Blank, who previously had never retained a Falcons coach in 17 years as the team's owner that had two consecutive uh, non-playoff seasons. And, uh, you know, Dan Quinn's had two back-to-back seven to nine years. He'll get an opportunity to sort of approve upon that in 2020. We'll get into that a little bit later on today's episode. But of course, it was an up and down season for the Falcons. They started off very slow, really struggled on defense mightily. One of the big reasons why they were able to turn things around in the second half was because you saw significant improvement from the Falcons defense, particularly their pass rush. I know Ross can speak to this as Drew Brees was harassed quite a bit coming out of their bye week in a very surprising win against the New Orleans Saints. They were able to get another surprising win against the San Francisco 49ers and were the only team to beat the 49ers in the back half of the season besides the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, my personal opinion is the Falcons are the second best team in the NFL because the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, I think with this Falcons team, while their defense was able to get bigger improvement, thanks in part to Raheem Morris, their wide receivers coach, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, head coach, taking over defensive play calling from Dan Quinn in the second half. One of the things that you didn't see improvement of in the second half of the season was their offense. It continued to struggle. Again, David is very familiar with whoever the Falcons have calling plays on their offensive side of the ball in Offensive coordinator Dirk Cutter, another former Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, head coach. And we didn't see significant gains from the offense. And the Falcons have always been sort of an offensive driven team in the previous years with Matt Ryan, with Julio Jones, with all those weapons they have. Um, And the question I think heading into 2020 is going to be sort of can they get bigger improvements from that offense and as well as build off of their defensive success. But I'm also sort of curious to get your guys' thoughts on sort of what you guys saw from the Falcons in 2019 from afar and uh, sort of how you think your various teams sort of stack up and whether this Falcon team is ascending or whether or not they're descending. I'm happy to jump in here as, uh, you know, the the Saints took their only divisional loss to the Atlanta Falcons and the fact that the Falcons were able to do so coming off of what was it a not so clean season up until that point, but coming off the bye week and then doing it in new Orleans at that, the saints of course lost two of their three games two of their three losses came at home, which is not typical uh, for the way that people associate the new Orleans saints. But I mean, when you look at the Falcons to me, the Falcons have been the most consistent challenger of the saints 
for over at least over the recent memory uh, of the NFC South, the Bucks have been doing a lot of really great work on that defense in particular, adding a lot of young pieces and exciting pieces. The the Panthers have had to deal with some injuries at the quarterback position with Cam Newton and then also just some question marks around there as well and are now moving into essentially a new regime entirely. And so the Falcons and the Saints feel like the two teams that kind of have the most at this point, right? Because we don't know what these two, what these, what the 53 man roster of these teams will all look like come 2020. But to me, it continues the rivalry for the Saints and the Falcons as the two top teams within the division at this point looking ahead. And so I look at the Falcons as, as an ascending team because of the smart adjustments that they made toward the end of the season, the way that that pass rush came along, what Raheem Morris did for the defense in particular, becoming their defensive play caller. I love that adjustment. I think that they adjusted very, very well at the end of the season. And they won games against teams that show you, and the way that it should look to you, is to show you what this team actually has. They won games against the 13 and three saints they beat the uh the the san francisco 49ers late in the season they beat the philadelphia eagles as well and so they had these really quality wins despite struggling through most of the season to just show you this is what this team could have been in 2019 and i i believe that the falcons next year won't leave as much to question in 2020 i think that this is an ascending team and the one that now has the uh, enough talent and enough uh, coaching, I, I guess I'd say, uh, at this point at the, the play calling positions to allow them to really find cohesion and something a little bit more consistent throughout the rest of the season. David, what are your thoughts on the Falcons? Well, I, I agree with Ross in a sense that I think this is a team whose roster doesn't match necessarily their their record. I think it's a more talented team than their record would lead on. And you know, going back to the firing of Dirk Cutter, after the 2018 season and, of course, being you know rehired by the Atlanta Falcons as a word to be their offensive coordinator. Obviously, Buccaneers fans, as soon as that news came out, wanted their their team to beat the Falcons both in both matchups this, this year more than usual. I mean, you always want to beat, well, everybody, but you definitely want to beat your division rivals. But the arrival of Dirk Cutter going back to Atlanta made Buccaneers fans a little bit more motivated to try to see the Buccaneers beat the Falcons, splitting the season series one, one, one win apiece. Unfortunately for Bucks fans, the Falcons won in Tampa. So, you know, and then Raheem Morris, the secondary, uh, getting the, or well, defense, getting the pick six there to, to finish the season in kind of a, a poetic way, almost kind of the only way you could see Jameis Winston and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers finishing their season is on a pick six. Um, I'm not as optimistic for the future only because I'm not as optimistic in Dirk Cutter. Uh, you know, Dirk had his ups and downs in Tampa, just like he had his ups and downs in his first stint with Atlanta, just like he has ups and downs in his time with Jacksonville, you know, and, and going back as far as you can in his coaching career. I mean, at the at the end of the day, Dirk just comes off as, as the kind of coach who is pretty sure that he knows what he wants to do and pretty sure that he wants his players to do what he wants them to do instead of trying to find ways to accentuate, accentuate what his team wants to do or what his players are able to do, rather. But, I mean, this year things might change because, I mean, Dan Quinn came back. I know a lot of people were surprised when the Falcons came out early uh, and actually mentioned, I mean, Aaron, you, you did the crossover with us, and we actually asked that question of, you know, is Dan Quinn coming back? And we all kind of speculated that probably not, and I think it was the very day the episode dropped that the Falcons decided to announce that they were indeed going to bring him back, which turned our episode from fresh to rotten and molded in, in the blink of an eye. Um, but I think this year is it. Like this year, you know, this team not only has to return to winning – but maybe even return to the playoffs in order for them to all keep their jobs. And so I think with that pressure, you know, from from the ownership, from the head coach, Dirk Cutter is going to kind of be forced 
to get out of his comfort zone a little bit maybe and scheme more to what the players are able to do and what his roster allows him to do versus trying to make his roster fit what he wants to do. Then again, uh, we all said the same thing when the Buccaneers entered their 2018 season, that this was going to be the year that Dirk would have to make some concessions to his scheme and his game plan in order to keep his job. He didn't make those concessions. He didn't make those adjustments. And the end result was he, you know, he ultimately was fired. Um, from all accounts from inside the building, great dude to work for. Everybody loves him, great personality, you know, all that stuff. But maybe just believes in his own uh, intelligence a little bit more. You know, he's a little stubborn for his own good. So we'll see. But the but the Falcons, bottom line, have a talented, talented roster. I really like the Atlanta defense. I know we have our Valentine's Day thing coming up at the end of the week. I've got I, I actually went through and the names that I'm sifting through for for who I'm in love with from your roster. I'm having to narrow down because there are a lot of guys. So a very talented roster, very capable, and I think that's really the theme across the division. But this one, the Atlanta Falcons finishing seven and nine. When you look at those names on those players, that depth chart, you would just expect more than seven and nine from a team like the Falcons. Yeah, I, I pretty much will follow what David said. I mean, this, this is definitely a, a talented team. Uh, it, it was really neat to see just the way they turned things around, the way that pass rush just all of a sudden fired up i'm really gonna be intrigued to see what that defensive front looks like now that uh, vic beasley is not going to be there anymore uh, although i think that he's a guy that uh a change of uh, a change of scenery might do him some good so you know hopefully he lands in in the right situation and then you know offensively we obviously look at the studs on the uh at the wide receiver uh calvin ridley i think is definitely a guy that uh is intriguing this season because you know there's still some there's still some people out there that aren't quite, I guess, aren't quite ready to promote him as a, as a top tier guy. I guess they, there's some people out there that think maybe he hasn't lived up to his first round expectation yet. So I think 2020 is going to be a telling season for him. And, you know, like David said, this is a a big year, I think for Dirk Cutter, you know, can he continue to develop guys like Calvin Ridley and, you know, how does that young offensive line continue to develop? Cause you had those young, those, uh, you know, you started two rookies last year in um, in Caleb McGarry. And then you saw, of course, you know, Chris, Chris Lindstrom dealt with all those injuries last year. So it'll be nice to see him get back at it. So that offensive line, I think, really has to gel together. And, you know, like David said, I think this is a, this is a big year for the coaching staff because usually when a team has to come out and say, okay, we're keeping such and such as head coach, you know that you're on the chopping block. You're on the chopping block. Excuse me. You know, teams like uh, like Jacksonville is in the same situation, and Detroit with Matt Patricia. Uh, Dan Quinn was saved once by this team, and you know they rallied hard and they they fought for him because you could tell too. Even with guys like Julio Jones, like they were fighting for Dan Quinn. They did not want him to go, so they they fought tooth and nail to save his job. And in the end they did, but if they have another season like this next year, he's not going to get another chance. You, you can usually get saved once in the NFL, but twice is a, uh, is, is a pretty tall task. So I, I agree that uh, it might not just take a winning record. It might take a playoff appearance for Dan Quinn to be around in 2021. So 2020 is going to be, this is definitely going to be one of the more interesting teams to follow throughout this off season. And then when we get into the regular season is, you know, which version of 2019, you know, which, which Falcons version, I should say, are we going to get in 2020? Are they the team that started one and seven and were stumbling and couldn't get much of their footing going? 
Or is this momentum from the second half going to carry over into 2020 and they get back as one of the top teams that, that we've you know, kind of become accustomed to with this Falcons team? Well, this is exactly why I'm enjoying this ultimate divisional crossover, because I think you guys have some very profound insights into the Falcons. And we'll sort of move this conversation along looking ahead to 2020 and asking sort of the big question. And I think uh, many of you guys have sort of uh, touched on them and sort of we'll take a, a little bit more of a deeper look uh, coming up on this ultimate divisional crossover. Now, if you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that the Locked On Falcons podcast is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Atlanta Falcons fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener, but a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Atlanta Falcons fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Falcons podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses, so text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So let's look ahead to 2020 with this Falcon team. And I think, you know, we talked about the Saints quarterback situation on yesterday's episode as sort of their big question mark. I have the suspicion that will be a conversation that we will have when we look ahead uh, later this week with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Carolina Panthers. But the Falcons have a stable quarterback position. But I think really, as you guys have touched upon, David talking about their cutter, Bill as well, uh, Ross as well. I think their biggest question mark is their coaching staff and whether or not the Falcons were smart to retain those guys. I think the question is whether or not the Falcons can really rely on whether those guys, you know, whether their defense where they finished strong last year will pick up where they left off with Raheem Morris taking over full time as the defensive play caller, whether or not you will see big improvements from Dirk Cutter, because as you guys mentioned, they have a lot of the pieces necessary to be successful, as we saw when they finished the season six and two. There are still some question marks on this roster, though. You know, they invested quite a bit in their offensive line last offseason, as Bill suggested, uh, but it didn't really pay off for them in a major way. They saw some bright moments when they had Chris Lindstrom healthy last year. Uh, can they build off of that? Do they continue, need to continue to invest in that offensive line? Their their pass rush isn't quite to the level. It was very good in certain games, as Ross can attest to, and in the other game, Bill certainly can attest to that. Kyle Allen was running for his life in both of those Panthers games, uh, but it wasn't consistent, and that's something that the Falcons have publicly stated that they want to get better at, um, investing in more of an edge rush presence now that Vic Beasley, their former first-round pick, is not going to be with the team. But I think the Falcons have a lot of questions. I don't know if there's one big question, but I, I guess this is an opportunity for you guys to provide your input. of When you're looking at this Falcon team, sort of from your perspective, what is maybe, is it their offensive line? Is it getting a more balanced rushing attack? Is it continued to uh, build upon and improve that defense? Where is it for you guys? And 
I know, Bill, you often get the short shrift on these uh, crossovers because your Panthers team is the, is the last place team. So I'll give you the opportunity to uh, speak first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, when I look at this Falcons team, I think one of the biggest questions for me is, and I kind of touched on it earlier, is that defensive front. You know, I, th- I think they've got to find, especially they've got to find somebody next to Grady Jarrett. You know, they've tried it with uh, Dejan Sanat and a couple other guys, but they haven't seemed to really find that consistent option next to Grady Jarrett. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest tasks this offseason is finding somebody that can – attack the interior, take some pressure off of Grady Jarrett, and maybe allow that pass rush to become more consistent rather than just show up, you know, two games at a time or, you know, here and there. Um, And then I touched on Vic Beasley not going to be there. So where's the pass rush going to come from? You want to hope that uh, Takaris McKinley, of course, kind of continues to develop and becomes that top pass rusher that they were hoping they they get when they drafted him or that they were hoping they would be uh, or they hoping they were get with Vic Beasley as far as him being more consistent, which he really wasn't. So that, that to me, I think is the, is the biggest concern and the biggest, uh, the biggest thing they need to address this off season is that defensive front, you know, because I I really like Grady Jarrett. You know, it's really great to see him, coming out of a, as a fifth round pick kind of coming out of, well, not really coming out of nowhere. A lot of people really liked him. Uh, and there's still questions as to, especially over the last couple of years, how he fell through the cracks, but they've got to find somebody consistent and strong enough, you know, and I was a fan of Deidre Sanat, but he hasn't really been there. He hasn't really gotten it done yet. So they've got to find a quality option at that, opposite defensive tackle position with Grady Jarrett. Yeah, I mean I agree. Like the the defensive front really I think is is the area that needs to be addressed by the Falcons the most probably. I, the offensive line I know had its struggles from time to time, but I think really it's kind of a young group. Uh there were some some injury issues. I know I know Caleb and Gary had some health issues early on in the in the year. I think really that's and nobody wants to hear it or especially if you're a quarterback playing behind it, you really don't want to have to go through the the maturation process for an offensive line group. But giving those guys kind of a chance to gel, maybe inserting one or two new guys into the mix um, should probably stabilize that whole thing. And then looking towards the draft, uh, getting that pass rush, like you're saying, Vic Beasley's not going to be there. Tack McKinley, you know, I, I kind of like Tack McKinley. I, I like what he brings to the field. I like his upside, uh, but he can't do it by himself. So you look at guys like uh, Caleb on Chason or AJ Epinesa in, in the first round. I think that's probably a good place for the for the Falcons to look. And then Calvin Ridley. Uh, Aaron, we talked, so for BucksNation.com, I did a lot of pieces where I kind of uh, snuck into the comment sections of opposing team uh, comment boards where the fans would make comments during the game about the plays that were happening. And, man, I did not expect to see kind of the the hatred being spewed towards Calvin Ridley. Um, I know he had some drops and, you know, had some rough routes and stuff like that. He's, he's a young guy still. But not expecting kind of – I mean, there were people who were just saying they should get rid of him, they should cut him, they should trade him. And this is this is a first-round draft pick from 2018 – Got it. He hasn't lit the world on fire, but I think you got to be patient with a first round draft pick. He's got to have the opportunity. And then, of course, tight end. I mean, Dirt Cutter is, you know, at least in, in his time in Tampa, I don't know about his first stint in Atlanta, but in Tampa, he was known for kind of wanting to get those tight ends involved. And if they can't bring back Austin Hooper, I can tell you that Luke Stocker, former Buccaneer, he's not going to get the job done in that type of a scheme. So they're going to have to look for tight ends. This isn't a tight end heavy class uh, like we've seen in a couple other years. 
Um, possibly, I mean, Buccaneers fans have, have talked about and speculated about Cameron Brait being available for trade. Typically don't see those types of trades happen within the division, but you know, if the Falcons are willing to pay a little bit more than other people would be necessarily, then maybe the Buccaneers go ahead and, and make that trade to get that higher price tag from them. You know, those are some of the areas I'm looking at uh, to see if the Falcons really address them during the offseason, whether it be free agency or in the draft or through trades. Uh, but really, those are kind of the main areas I see that this team really needs help. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at all of those as well, and I'd add one more just simply being the running back position as well. I mean, with Tevin Coleman out and then being in San Francisco, and then we saw injuries to both Devontae Freeman as well as Edo Smith start to eat up some offensive production as well. I think that's another position that I would look at as a place to where the Falcons could stand to uh, grab themselves a little bit of an opportunity to improve. But I love the, the, the focus on, you know, investment along the offensive line. It's just about what are you getting in terms of the return? on that investment might be one of the bigger question marks as well along as you know as along with the other things we've talked about like pass rush and stuff like that but I would also throw that running back position in there I see that a lot of draft analysts and a lot of draft experts tend to try to you know send DeAndre Swift over in the first round and things like that and so I'd be interested to hear about uh, your thoughts as well Aaron on that running back position but you know if I was going to name a third one outside of defensive line particularly the edge rushers the offensive line uh, and as somebody that can tell you from experience how quickly in, uh, an offensive line can deteriorate and how it can negatively affect your, your team's uh, experience, you definitely see that with New Orleans, particularly along the interior offensive line, something that a lot of teams have been exploiting over the last few years, particularly playoff teams in the playoffs. Um, that's something to definitely shore up. But I'd throw that running back position in there as well, just as a part of the conversation. Yeah, I think the running back position is going to be one to keep an eye on. You know, Devontae Freeman's getting a little bit older. They gave him a, a big contract a couple of years ago, had been dealing with injuries, missed most of 2018, um, didn't really produce last year. Uh, coming off of that injury and sort of a question is going to be whether or not he's going to be back in 2020 at his price tag at sort of that increased age. And it Begs the question because the Falcons invested heavily in their offensive line last offseason. Quinn wanted to be a more balanced attack. And, uh, you know, David, again, probably can speak to this. Balance and dirt cutter aren't necessarily a great mix in, in terms of how he's been able to have success when he's had success <laughs> as a play caller in the NFL. Um, but, you know, they invested in their offensive line. It didn't really pay off. So you wonder, okay, if they want to be better at running the football since – they already tried with the offensive line. Does that mean do they now try with the running back and they go out there and, and potentially use a, a high pick on a running back that uh, can you know provide some of that youth and more explosiveness than what Freeman uh, gives at this point in his career? And so I think that's a big question. And I think you guys all raised some excellent points about sort of some of the areas of concern for this Falcon team. And I don't know if there's sort of one sort of glaring issue. I think it's a lot of things that the Falcons are going to have to address this upcoming offseason. And that's going to be, you know, a tall order given some of the cap constraints that they have given that some of the money that they pay to various players over the years. And, and David, you mentioned Austin Hooper, and he's a guy that's uh, normally, you know, under normal circumstances, the Falcons – would, you know, pay their guys as they have done to numerous players over the last couple of off seasons. And now all the talk surrounding Austin Hooper as he heads towards free agency is sort of, you know, they don't know if he's going to be back. And that's a, a different change, sort of how the Falcons have traditionally uh, 
approached free agency and some of their big name players uh, in previous off seasons. So that's a big question mark. And so it's going to be interesting to sort of see whether or not the Falcons are willing to make some of these wholesale changes to provide a boost to this team in 2020. Um, and uh, whether or not, you know, those will work out in their favor. But, um, you know, I want to be able to continue today's conversation and, and get your guys' thoughts on your own teams in, in terms of how specifically they match up and how they're going to potentially fare uh, when they face the Falcons um, coming up in this 2020 season. And so we'll, we'll continue that conversation on today's ultimate divisional crossover. So guys, we're, we're wrapping up today's ultimate divisional crossover. And we've talked quite a bit about the Falcons uh, 2019 season, the up and down season. We've talked quite a bit about some of their 2020 needs, but this is an opportunity for you guys to speak on your own teams and in terms of their ability to match up with the Falcons and sort of, you know, maybe we can get a little bit into early in the process, I know, but, uh, you know, it's, it's hot take season. Um, and so let's, let's get out there and, and push some, some narratives this early in the off season where, you know, we're not as accountable to the things that we say in February as we might be a little bit later in the year. But I'm curious to sort of see, as you guys have discussed, sort of where you're stacking up in the NFC South this year as w- in addition to sort of where the Falcons are. Or is this a team that can compete for the, the win the division? Um, or is this a team that's, you know, uh, going to be mired in, in mediocrity? I think the Falcons are, are a prime example of, you know, coaching matters. And and I say that, and, and those who are outside kind of the Bucks world, from 2018, that's kind of the mantra that was being chanted as the year went on and on and on is that coaching matters. Talent is only going to get you so far if the coaches can't put it all in the right place and in the right positions. And that's where I think, you know, we, we've already kind of talked about that a little bit in this episode alone, but that's where, you know, Dan Quinn is going to have to kind of take the reins and make sure that his coordinators and his position coaches are, are teaching the right things. And those coordinators are going to have to scheme and coordinate uh, appropriately against their their opponents and you know, and then the position group guys are gonna have to do, you know, their parts and, you know, trickle down economics and all that stuff. And what really actually has me kind of curious is if this whole thing doesn't work out uh, for 2020 is what happens with a guy like Raheem Morris, because Raheem Morris is, you know, he's got some head coaching experience. I think everybody pretty much would agree that he was too young and too inexperienced to really handle the head coaching responsibilities when he got the job in Tampa. Um, I don't think, you know, he was hired just because, you know, he was the flavor of the month, so to speak, or, you know, the socially acceptable, you know, uh, trend or whatever um, that a lot of people have kind of alluded to. I think Raheem Morris is a very smart football mind because if he wasn't, I don't think he'd be in the league anymore. Yeah, I think that that makes perfect sense. I I mean, mean, that bleeds into. Yeah. And I just I almost kind of wonder if Raheem Morris could become a candidate if, you know, let's say, say the defense continues to rise a little bit, that secondary continues to get better. But that offense doesn't get on track and doesn't provide the defense, you know, the top coverage and the points that they need to to really put it all together. I almost kind of wonder if Raheem Morris is the kind of guy who could, who could almost, I don't want to say snake because it, it's not like he's doing it intentionally, but, you know, could move into that head coaching position again and using the combined experiences that he's had since his job in Tampa or since he lost the job in Tampa with the experience from having that job in Tampa, a little bit older, a little bit wiser, a little bit more versed in the NFL culture. I wonder how good of a head coach he might be because everybody that that I know who interacted with Raheem, nobody like it, it. It's never been a question of is Raheem football savvy? 
Is he smart? Is he a leader? He's got all the charisma, all the personality, all the intelligence that you want. But being a head coach is, is about more than just knowing the game of football. It's about leadership. And I think that what we saw last year with that transition into a different position for Raheem Morris shows that that leadership ability has gotten a little bit stronger. So I just, to me, in the back of my mind, that's kind of a thing that's going to be kind of hanging on there if the Falcons don't realize all their potential is could this be a situation where maybe Dan Quinn gets fired in week 8, 9, 10, and Raheem Morris gets to step in in that interim position and perhaps earn himself a head coaching job in 2021 with the Falcons or somebody else even. Um, kind of like how you saw Bruce Arians do, uh, stepping in and with the Colts and then getting a job in Arizona. Um, so that's just kind of how I look at the team. Now, how the Buccaneers stand up against them. Uh, Falcons and Bucks, I mean, division rivalries are always, you know, tight and are always, always good games. But I just feel like the Falcons and Bucks are that division rivalry that whenever these two teams match up, it's it's always going to be a slobber knocker, right? And, and you look at the two games that they played this year, they're both close games. Um, really, at the end of the day, can the Buccaneers beat the Falcons? I think they can. Can the Falcons beat the Buccaneers? Of course they can. They've proven it. But and it's hard to answer right now because we don't know who's going to be taking snaps for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If it's Jameis Winston, it's going to be all about ball security. I think if Jameis Winston doesn't have two interceptions in Week 17 against Falcons, obviously that last interception being the biggest one, then I think the, Fal- or the, the Buccaneers can very well come away with that win. Um, but because of the lack of ball security, you know, they end up dropping that game. So I still think the Falcons are kind of sitting in that two to three range in the NFC South, which is where we've all kind of been for the last couple of years. Uh, I still think they're going to be there. But I do think that if the coaches don't get on board and get this thing going right, you start to lose players, you start to lose motivation. Things could spiral like they looked like they were going to last year. Uh, but this year, I don't know if they've got that comeback in them, you know, after another year of going through this. Yeah, as far as the Panthers go, um, I think it's become pretty clear that the, the Falcons have kind of dominated the series recently. Um, I'm just looking at the the series history right now. The Falcons. The Falcons have actually won five straight against the Panthers, uh, eight of nine. Uh, so it's two straight years of sweeping the series, including two dominating performances this year. I mean, the Falcons went to Carolina and pounded them 29 to three, and then they beat them at home 40 to 20. So none of those games are close. And of course, you know, the Panthers were just a pretty bad team all year long, but this was still that first game was still when the Falcons were still kind of getting their footing, but yeah, the Falcons have just seemingly had the Panthers number for quite some time now. And it could be another case in 2020 because this Falcons roster right now just looks a lot better on paper than the Panthers. Again, we touched on how the Panthers are basically going to be in kind of a rebuild mode, whereas the Falcons are now have their sights set on, uh, potentially winning the division, I think at least getting uh, potentially a wild card. I think that right now could be, and again, obviously a lot of this depends on what the Saints do, especially a quarterback, but I think the Falcons definitely have the possibility of competing for one of those wild card spots. I mean, you know, to, to almost get to eight and eight after the start they had, it's obviously incredible, you know, even getting to seven and nine is incredible. So it's like I said earlier, if they can carry that momentum into 2020 and they can add some pieces that we touched on, you know, sure up the offensive line, uh, fix up that defensive front. Uh, I really like, I think Dave, you said those couple of prospects. I really like Kalevon uh, Chase. I think, I think that's how you say his name. I, <laughs> all, all these fun names, but Ch- Chase on's a guy I really, really like, and I think he would fit absolutely 
perfectly with the Atlanta Falcons. So if they can get a guy like him, then all of a sudden you're now looking at a, a strong defense that, you know, the Falcons have had some questions with the last couple of years and injuries have certainly played a factor. And if they can get, increase that pass rush uh, until the Panthers fix up their offensive line, they're going to continue to be in trouble against these, uh, these really good pass rush teams. And, you know, it's it's not like this was an elite pass rush last year, but, you know, they had some good production from guys like Beasley and uh, McKinley. And like Aaron said, Kyle Allen just was running for his life in those games. So, yeah, the, the Falcons definitely are the better team right now. And again, they're just another one of those teams that the, the Panthers, I think, are they're going to be looking up at in 2020. Yeah. From the saints perspective, I mean, it's much as I mentioned earlier, I look at the saints and Falcons as kind of the two at this moment going into 2020, uh, you know, at, at this moment are the two teams that are up at the top of the division. Uh, of course, with room for that to change how the off season goes. Uh, I think that the saints have always had a nice matchup with the Falcons and by nice matchup, I don't mean that they were, you know, at at this point in the recent history, you know, better than the Falcons or were, you know, making clean sweeps of the Falcons, but simply that it's always been a fun matchup to watch. I, I love the games. I They're, they're always a lot of fun uh, and they make for great moments uh, over and over and over again. And especially this new or this relived tradition of the Falcons Saints Thanksgiving game, I think is a lot of fun to be able to see as well. And I'd like, I love that the competition between these two teams is starting to get the national attention that it deserves as one of the better rivalries, quote unquote, uh, in the NFL or not even quote unquote rivalries in the NFL. I think that the Saints and Falcons are the two teams within the division that are going to have, you know, these huge matchups again next year as well. And when I look at how the Saints match up against them, it's a little bit of what we touched on in the last episode, Aaron, uh, to where we talked about the cornerback or the secondary situation for the Saints, the Saints right now are essentially without a second cornerback opposite Marshawn Lattimore. And what I mean by that is that Eli Apple, they didn't, they uh, they passed on his fifth year option. So he's becoming a free agent at the end of this year. And then there is Janoris Jenkins, who was you know brought in late in the season, but he's owed $11.2 million for this upcoming season. So I doubt that the Saints keep him at that price range. It would cause, you know, they would require some kind of a restructure in order for that to happen. And perhaps more important than both of those guys is that Von Bell is also a free agent going into this offseason. And Von Bell is somebody in the secondary that's become a very key piece for the defense and somebody that's gotten better every single year and added something to his game. He's somebody that's going to be in high, high, high demand this offseason. The Saints are going to have to really work to keep him in the building. And I think that in terms of the guys that have the potential of leaving the Saints facility this offseason outside of the quarterbacks, Von Bell might be the most important piece for this team in terms of being a vocal leader on the defense as somebody that could end up going to a safety needy team. I, I mean, the bucks are definitely an option for Von yes, Bell. Sir. You also, yeah, absolutely. You look at Miami who could use some safety help as well. There's a lot of teams out there that are going to make a run at Von Bell. And so with all of those along with, and then you look at the, the weapons for the uh, Falcons on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage, you look at Julio Jones, you look at Calvin Ridley, despite the hate that he might get from some, some local fans, you look at whatever that running back situation is going to be. That's an offense that has the ability to reload coming into 2020. And I mean, reload, not rebuild. Uh, and against an, a defense and a secondary in New Orleans that 
may be in the midst of a bit of a rebuild with potentially the only three main pieces retained going into 2020 being Marcus Williams, who you know has his struggles, although he had a fantastic season last year that I hope that he carries through to play through his final year on his rookie contract. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who played well all over the defense, and then Marshawn Lattimore. But then the rest of that secondary, two-fifths of the secondary is a big question mark right now. So that's a big, big portion of what I look at when it comes to the matchup between the Saints and the Falcons, it's a big question that I think will be answered over the offseason that I think really kind of lends a bit of a glimpse into what next year's matchups could look like. So, so Ross, you mentioned Von Bell, and huh? I, am, I am a devout Ohio State fan, so Von Bell holds a special place in my heart, of course. Nice. But there, there's another memory that Von Bell's name and, and, and image invokes, and that is of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers trading ahead of the New Orleans Saints in that draft to select Roberto Aguayo. Uh, oh, yes. And not Von Bell, who I thought they had traded up to draft ahead of the Yes. Season. And, and then speaking to kickers, Aaron. Um, so, so one of the, one of the final things I remembered about covering the, the Falcons fan base in that last, that week 17 game is the lack of love that your fans give to your kicker, Young Way Koo, because in a game where Matt Gay, just just could not hit a kick to save his life and to win the game for the Bucks. Young Way Koo came through. Uh, sorry for that rhyming for your team. Love and it. And your fans really just it was like, oh, field goal, cool. And next play. We hate Dirt Cutter, by the way. Like that's pretty much what I noticed in the in the fan comments. Um, um, going on and on. Is Young Way Koo going to come back? Like I know kickers aren't a hot topic during the offseason, but is Young Way Koo going to come back? Because Bruce Arians has talked about bringing in competition. And who better bring in for competition than the guy you saw kick your team or kick the opposing team to a win, essentially, when your kicker was struggling, you know, uh, if, if you're running a training camp? Let me let me also if I can also add in the, my young way uh memory, which was on the Thanksgiving Day game when he kicked essentially three straight successful onside kicks. He did. Which yeah. was absolutely wild, wild, yes. wild, wild. I think David Youngwayku went over the Falcon fan base on that Week 17 game. I, I think there were still questions uh, because, you know, we, we had a very long, successful time with Matt Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as long as Matt Bryant was kicking for the Falcons, it seemed like the Bucks couldn't get their kicking game right. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that um, seemed to factor in, in those matchups over the years. So I, I think Ku is going to be back. They've already sort of come out and said that he, he is set to return in 2020. And I think the expectation is they'll bring in some competition for him. Uh, that is something they didn't do last offseason when they initially let Matt Bryant go and they had a, sort of a, a young guy or a younger guy in um, Giovanni Tavecchio on, on yeah. the roster and they didn't bring any competition and he wound up being terrible in the, in the preseason and then they had to bring Matt Bryant back and then Matt Bryant looked a little bit older, although you know he was pretty accurate but it just seemed like from beyond 50, he didn't have quite the leg strength anymore. And that's a question mark with Koo. He's been fairly accurate throughout his career, but he hasn't had a lot of experience kicking long kicks. So I think they'll try to bring in another big leg kicker to sort of compete with him and push him. They won't make that same mistake before without having uh, some competition there. But I do think Koo did uh, certainly with his performance in, on the onside kick, you know, he mm-hmm. made, like, I think, I think the stat was, only 10% of onside kicks were recovered in the NFL elsewhere, but the Falcons managed to recover 67% of their onside kick attempts last season, thanks to Young Wayku. So uh, I think he was able to win over some 
guys in, in the second half of the season. And David, you know, as a word of advice, don't pay too much attention to what people say in the comments of on various <laughs> Falcon websites and, and Twitter or whatnot. I've learned many times over the years that you got to you got to stay away from the comments. It, it's not necessarily an accurate depiction of what the majority of people think. It's just the, yeah. the loudest voices tend to be heard uh, uh, in, in those areas. So you know, avoid those at, at all costs if you can. Yeah. Usually the uh, angry guys are the loudest. And, and I'll tell you, uh, one thing that I got from that exercise um, and, I, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to do it again this coming season. So I will, I will be trudging through the fan bases of every, every NFL team that the Buccaneers play is that they're all pretty much the same. Every fan base is pretty much the same. And exactly. once I started digging into them, I actually felt a lot better about some of the negativity going on in Bucks fandom because of it. So it's actually helped me be a little bit more patient with Bucks fans, to be honest with you. So maybe a net gain there, but yeah, definitely some, some dark stuff going on in those comment sections. <laughs> Well, um, hopefully, you know, if you're a Falcon fan, the, the Falcons 2020 season uh, will not be so dark as it was in the first half of 2019. And they can build upon uh, what they were able to finish in the second half when they went to six and two. Obviously, from the Bucks, Saints and, and Panthers fan standpoint, they will hope that the night is dark and, and full of terrors for the Falcons this upcoming season. But I, I really do appreciate you guys joining me. On today's episode, flexing your Falcons knowledge, you, you did as good a job as I did, probably even better. I'm, I'm sure I'll be getting a call from, uh, you know, the, the network heads at Locked On. Um, they say, like, why are we keeping you around, Aaron, when, you know, David Ross and, and Bill do just as good, if not a better job of, of covering this Falcon team. And I think you guys really nailed some of the key needs and the outlook and sharing your thoughts on sort of where you're three teams stack up and uh, we will certainly be continuing this conversation tomorrow uh, talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers specifically. I'm sure we'll get quite a bit into Jameis Winston and many other topics on uh, that episode. But uh, you know, once again, guys, before we close this thing out, go ahead, plug uh, you know, your shows and your Twitter handles um, for the listeners out there. Thanks, man. I don't know that I'm going to be taking over your job as the the Locked on Falcons uh, host at any point because you do such a fantastic job with the show, man. Thank you very much for all of this. Uh, Everybody, Ross Jackson here. You can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. And of course, you can check out the Locked on Saints podcast, even when Aaron's not dropping through for our biannual uh, crossover Wednesdays. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Yeah, and I'm David Harrison. You can find everything I'm writing over at BucksNation.com. Find me on the Locked on Bucks podcast and on Twitter at DH82 underscore Bucks. Yeah, I'm, I'm still around with Locked On Panthers, and if I can stick around with the Panthers, and Aaron does a lot better job covering the Falcons, and I think I do with the Panthers. But yeah, Locked On Panthers, and I'm at Bill underscore Rossetti on Twitter, R-I-C-C-E-T-T-E. Well, guys, I had a lot of fun today, and uh, let's do it again sometime. Oh, you know, maybe perhaps tomorrow. So, yeah, until then. Yeah, I guess I'll show up. Oh, I guess I have way, to. Happy birthday. Oh, thank yeah, you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes, today is Ross Jackson's birthday. So all the <laughs> listeners out there, remember to add him on Twitter and send him your best uh, gifts. Nothing better on <laughs> a birthday wish to, to be talking about your favorite football team in the Atlanta Falcons. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't find a better way to spend it than with y'all, man. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. There you have it, guys. Day two of the Ultimate Divisional Crossover. I hope you guys are enjoying this and we'll continue 
these conversations, talking tomorrow about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, getting the lowdown on the Atlanta Falcons today and the New Orleans Saints yesterday. And we'll got the Carolina Panthers upcoming, as well as a special Friday sort of all-incumbency episode. But, uh, yeah, we're going to keep this thing rolling this week. These have been fun to do so far. I hope they continue to be fun throughout the rest of the week. And, um, yeah, not much else to say. Until then, guys. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.